Jim and Kitty had two sons. As Christian parents, they intentionally prayed over a a special maturity experience that they wanted to have for each of their sons when their sons turned 14. I'm sure if they had a daughter, they'd be providing something for her at 14. This, This maturity experience involved the following. One, seven days alone with dad at a location of the son's choosing. The first son chose to backpack and a fishing trip in the mountains. Two, important conversations with dad that would take place during this adventure bonding week. And the father invited the son to put on a piece of paper what he wanted to discuss and talk about. And then the father put on a piece of paper what he wanted to discuss and talk about. This is what the son wanted to talk about at 14. Girls, cars, sports, upgrading his BB gun to a rifle for target practice only, upgrading to a computer that he could watch movies on and create movies, And then let's talk about cameras, Dad. Here's Dad's list. Girls. Upgrading from boyhood to manhood. Pornography. And the feelings and the thoughts involves and its traps. Temptation and how to discern and respond to it. The power of choice. And the increasing responsibility that... Kitty and he were given to, giving to their son. Cowed, proud pressure and dependency upon God to say no. The difference between transparency, telling the truth, and accountability, and a few trustworthy Christian friends versus hiding, lying, covering up, and keeping secrets. Prayer support and when to seek it. The discussions went great. The son listened, asked questions, and shared things with his father that he, they had never talked about before. The third element of the maturity, maturity experience happened when Jim and his son arrived home. In their living room were 12 Christian men already there. Something happened in the next four hours. Long prayed for, Jim and Kitty were going to ask 12 men to share their, one of their failures and give a blessing to their son. Man after man, some with tears and deep emotions, shared a personal failure what they wished they had done, how they depended upon God, and if there was redemption, how God was at work in it. And then it was a time of blessing. See, Kitty and Jim didn't want 12 success stories 
for their young son to have to live up to. They wanted him to hear how God can redeem and mature, even in the midst of failure and weakness. Well, in the time of blessing, the son did not get his rifle. He did, however, receive a seven and a quarter warm drive circular soft with a carbide blade tri- tip from his uncle, the carpenter. With an unforgettable blessing to build his life on a solid rock and not on sand. From a man in his parents' small group Bible study, he got a shovel, a rake, pruning shears, and a box of seeds along with a variety of bulbs. He was blessed to be a man who loved and created beauty because God is the creator who loves beauty and delights in it. And this man snuck in a lesson on being pruned by God. On and on it went, blessing sometimes poems these men had written, sometimes stories. And the fourth and final part was when Kitty and the wives of the men came in, and in front of them all, Jim and Kitty gave their son an expensive ring that cost them close to $1,000. It was the parent's seal of belonging and growing authority and trust that they were giving to their son. He belonged with them, and had new freedoms and responsibility. He belonged to God, and he belonged to this community. Jim and Kitty named before the Son every person in that room. These were the chosen people that they wanted as a community for their Son. He could go to them for guidance, counsel, encouragement, prayer, and even if the issue was of bad air, he was able to go to that community and receive encouragement, help, assurance. The parents then laid hand on their son while the community prayed. It was a maturing experience with a lifelong impact. I have a sort of acquaintance relationship with Jim and Kitty. And if I had children, we would do something like this multiple times. It would be great. I bless you parents to consider things like this. Or uncles, aunts, cousins. As we read our scripture, I want to invite us to try to think about this story and where we might see it in a maturity experience that Jesus has for the disciples in this experience, in this scripture. And as you stand, I want to invite a very awesome small group that I'm a part of and invite them to come up and help us read this passage. So... If you're not in part of a small group and you want to be, this is a great one. We invite you to join Wednesday night at Pastor Chris and Corey's house.
Yeah, I'll just help a little bit. This is representative of Jesus. We're the disciples. This is Peter. I'm the narrator. We have some holdbacks here. That's all biblical. There's holdbacks. <laughs> See, we just get to be a messy community that, and live together. Okay, I think I'm supposed to start, all right? When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he said to his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, still others, Jeremiah, one of the prophets. But what? But what about you? Sorry. He said, Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, You were from the Son, Son of the living God. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of death will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed, and on the third day be raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me. Do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for you to gain the whole world, yet forfeit your soul? Or what can you give in exchange for your soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward everyone according to what they have done. Truly, I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Thank you. Let's just give an overview. In three overtures, just summarize these three sections that make up the whole of this passage. One, Jesus is establishing a new community of the people of God. This is the birth of the church. Verses 13 to 20. Second, it involves Jesus' followers... And Jesus' church, having in mind the things of God. Verses 21 to 23. And third, it involves individual Christians and Jesus' church following Jesus, the Christ, regardless of the cost. 
a people so passionate about the lordship of the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ, they will deny their own little lordships to be obedient to follow him. So let's take each section. Verses 13 to 21. The location is Caesarea Philippi. And it seems intentional that Jesus would take his disciples here and ask this important question. It wasn't Jim's seven-day hike with his son. It was more like a two-day hike from the Sea of Galilee, but where it was was in the northernmost part of Israel, and beyond that, the world. And this is where Jesus chooses to ask the question, who do the people say that I am? And his disciples are not sleeping in relation to the culture around them. They're actually listening. He's a prophet. You're a prophet, Jesus. You're, you're a prophet like John the Baptist, Elijah, Jeremiah, or another prophet. In other words, Jesus was considered by the crowd to be God's prophetic mouthpiece. There's no hint among the crowd that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah. Nor anything about suffering except for one little tad hint about Jeremiah. Jeremiah was an Old Testament prophet who endured a lot of suffering. And he was called to preach to his own people. And they would not listen, hear, or repent. And Jeremiah became persecuted, a suffering prophet at the hands of his own people. Jesus then asked, what about you? They'd been traveling with him. They'd been with him. Who do you say that I am? Peter is often the spokesperson for them all. With divine help, Peter proclaims, you are the Christ, son of the living God. It was absolutely correct. The Christ Greek has the same meaning of the Hebrew Messiah. And now we have to ask the question, what did the name mean to the Jewish mind? For them, N.T. Wright affirms, it, it probably meant... Jesus is the anointed king of God. He is God's ultimate fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies. And he's the one who's going to sit on David's throne. And his kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom. Samuel chapter 7. And further from Daniel 7... Jesus is king, anointed by the Ancient of Days, and he will be given authority, glory, and sovereign power. His dominion as king will never, 
end. It will be everlasting. It will never pass away. His kingdom is one that will, it can't be destroyed. So N.T. Wright says, it would, it, it just might be. Since Peter gets a little bit of affirmation from Jesus that he's right, that the disciples have this plan already starting to brew. We are going to march on Jerusalem, pick up as many supporters along the way as we can, and with Jesus' power and miracles, we will choose the right moment, fight a surprising battle, win over the temple, and install Jesus as king. That just might be exactly what was going through their mind. And it seems, since Jesus, in our text, blesses Peter, and it's only Peter, it's a a blessing for Peter, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father. You got it right, Peter, and you got a little help from my Father in heaven. So Peter was hearing right. But what happens next? Peter had just named Jesus by God's help, and now Jesus will name, actually rename, Simon son of Jonah, to Petros, the rock. Peter has declared the significance in the word, the Christ, of Jesus' role. And Jesus is now going to declare the role and the function that Peter will play. On this rock, Peter, I will build my church... I will build my church, Jesus says, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you, Peter, the keys of the kingdom of heaven. The address was to Peter, and it was not intended to be repeatable. Peter couldn't pass it down. Peter will be the foundation stone of Jesus' church, He's not the chief cornerstone. That's Jesus' rule. Peter is the rock on which Jesus, who has all authority in heaven and earth, will build his new community. And it's not built on Jesus, uh, pardon me, Peter's confession of who Jesus is, but on the way Peter functions in Jesus' church. Despite Peter's many flaws, Peter gives me hope. And despite Peter's need of learning, he's going to have a significant role. What was unique about Peter's unrepeatable role? He's open. And on the day of Pentecost... He's going to speak to the nations and proclaim the Christ. And he's going to open invitation to come under Jesus the King. In Acts 8, 
he's brought to Samaria because Philip's down there preaching and Peter affirms, this is of God. The Samaritans are welcomed in. And in Acts 10, he goes in and crosses the threshold, something he's never done before, of a Gentile home, Cornelius. And before Peter's even done, the Holy Spirit comes upon him and Peter affirms, the kingdom and the king is for the Gentiles. This is the function as the rock Peter will have. Does this remind you, this whole scene of Jesus renaming Simon, son of Jonah, to Petros, the rock? And giving him a significant role, does it remind you of anyone in the Old Testament? Thank you, Joy. She said, oh, Barbara and Joy, together a team, community. (laughs) They said, Abram. That's exactly right. Abram was... Given a new name. Abram was blessed. God renames Abram to Abraham, the father of many, and he is establishing the people of God through Abraham. He's establishing Israel off of Abraham. Peter is used by God to establish Jesus' renewed community, the church. Pastor Chris preached last week about the yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. There was something that had gone so wrong in the temple and the leadership of it and and, and Jesus' people that Jesus has to take his disciples far away from all of that. And he's, he's reconstituting. His people, his community. It's going to be called the church. Jesus says, the gates of Hades will not overcome it. What what, what are the gates of Hades? Death. demonic darkness and the Satan but largely the sense of death death has always been the big fear in military conquest hasn't it empire thinking Pastor Chris taught me this empire thinking leave it to a man and a Jedi and and, uh, force be with you the empire strikes back this is empire thinking And while I'm laughing a little bit about that, it's very serious. Because even today around the Ukraine, what is the threat? Death. The newest nation on earth in which I have 27 adopted Sudanese sons. The Dinka tribe is slaughtering the New Air tribe where we have covenant churches. Death is the big threat. 
And there is just flooding getting out of there. That has always been a way of controlling people. But Jesus is announcing something fantastic and glorious regarding his new community, the church. Death will not stop it. Will not shut it out. Will not shut it in. Will not shut it up. Not all the fury of demons or the Satan will ever overcome Jesus' church. The people of God have resurrection hope in Christ now and forevermore. I held both of my parents who were in Christ as they physically died and transferred. And they, I can't explain this, came out of their body fully alive because they are in the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ. And I know that one day I will see them again. And we will continue to serve God and His purposes. We will reign wherever Jesus wants us to reign in His new heaven and His new earth. Because death cannot stop Jesus' church and Jesus' people. It has no power over us. And where we fear it, we help each other because we are the community of Christ. We just stand with each other and encourage each other. Hold each other's hands. We're now at a very large problem in verse 21 and 23. What did Peter and the disciples mean by the Christ, the Messiah? What was their definition? And what did Jesus mean by the Christ, the Messiah? They had different understandings. I had the privilege of serving in Haiti at a educational and medical um, mission. And uh, I was a respiratory therapist at the time, and one of the things that I got to do is, through a translator who spoke Creole, I got to teach about our human lungs and air transfer and the aeration of the blood and uh, try that one without uh, uh, x-rays and slides. But there was one young boy who got the attention of the translator and he wanted to communicate with me and he, he, he said he knew we have, he had two lungs. He knew it because he had a hot lung and a cold lung. I was see he is smart. He was thinking. He had an idea from the limitations of what he was given. It wasn't quite the way we see it now. And I have compassion on the disciples. They 
Yes, Peter had some revelation there, but they don't have, they didn't have the Holy Spirit in filling them at that time. And they have a different understanding of the Christ than Jesus did. And their understanding, it might be summed up in this question. How is Jesus the King going to rescue Israel? And Jesus just might have a different question like this. How is God, my Father, going to rescue the whole world through Israel and thereby save Israel in the process but not as the point of it all. The point is to rescue the whole cosmos and all of creation and all creatures because our creative God is a lover. He loves and that's the point of it. It was never about Abraham and Peter solely. And it's not going to be about just rescuing Israel. God, the Creator, had something much larger in mind. And I think the location that they're at, here's the dividing line of Israel, and there's the world. And on this place that they're standing has been former worship of, of little gods. Baal. Pan. God of fertility of nature. Caesar. You know, Caesarea Philippi is named after Caesar, the Roman authority. And it it's almost as if Jesus is saying, don't be afraid. You can compare me to every other little God, and I will stand up. When objectively compared, I will stand. And that's encouragement to us. Where we share about Jesus, we don't have to have shame or fear. He will stand. And not only that, there's this pretty large hit, hint of missionary movement. Because what's really going to happen is those standing with him, minus Judas, who would have liked the empire part, who would have liked the go down, kick them all out part, all of these 11 remaining are going to become missionaries. Even Peter is going to move out of Jerusalem and go forth. Many are going to go beyond the regions of Israel and proclaim the gospel. And many of them will suffer and lose their life. And that brings us to verses 24 through 26. And I ask you this. I've tried this. It doesn't work for me. Mothers might be coordinated to do it. Have you ever tried to cut your hair looking in a mirror and, and cut? It's like opposite of the way you think it should be. Right? 
when you learn to swim, if you learn to swim. Wasn't there a moment? I, I did it at Bloedel Donovan at the insistence of my mother because she couldn't swim and she was determined not to have children who couldn't swim. And I didn't get water wings. I'm a little older than the water wing era. And there was a moment of standing there on that sand, one foot, and I did not want to let go of that foot. There's security in that foot. But I needed to risk and let go. And I started the dog paddle. And what we've got here in this situation is risk and having to see things a different way. Almost the opposite of what you think. It's about following Jesus and what following Jesus is like. It, it's more about surrendering to Jesus' magnificent kingship and lordship and denying my personal lordship. My personal, I, I like the way Dallas Willard puts it. He, sort of, he, he, he writes that by God's grace in giving us free choice, we have a little queendom or a little kingdom. It's the sphere of my effective will or my choice. And our kingdom or queendom works best when it's underneath and aligned with the kingdom of God, with God's effective will and rule and reign. That's when it works best. If I step out from underneath His kingdom realm, I am now not denying my own lordship. I am picking up my own lordship and saying, I'm in control. I'm the leader. But staying underneath, that's what this, these verses, you can read them further yourselves. It's about losing our lives. But we're not lost. We are in Christ. And it is about suffering. And, and uh, Chris and I talked about this. Um, how many times we may have been taught or have the notion as Christians that we should just doom and gloom, suffer, pick up our cross, and our whole life just be miserable. It's not consistent with our creator, creator God. It's inconsistent. Who creates beauty for us to enjoy and invites us to create beauty? Who creates pleasure and invites us to enjoy it? Jesus Went to feasts, parties. He is not an unhappy Messiah. He is quite taken with being fully alive and 
it will include a very unique suffering for him. To be the bearer of sin. We're to follow him in that we stand and let go of our choice to be the ruler of my own life and stand under his lordship, obeying him, walking with him, trusting him, letting go of the bottom of Bodel Donovan sand and trusting him. So we have little kingdoms and little queendoms. And now we come to the last two verses of our text. And I'm just going to say, I read multiple commentaries related to verse 27. And I wish I knew with confidence what exactly does that mean because there's judgment involved Does it mean the second coming of Jesus? I have a much clearer hope of what verse 28 is talking about. Verse 28 is saying, Jesus is saying, I tell you the truth. Some who are standing here, they're still way up there. It's going to be six more days. And by the way, Peter's not cast out for his blunder back there, getting called the Satan and a stumbling block. He gets called by Jesus up the Mount of Transfiguration. He keeps getting drawn in. But verse 28, I tell you the truth, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in His kingdom. This is is probably the vindication of Christ, which is his resurrection. Who will taste death before Jesus' resurrection? Judas will hang himself. But the others will see Jesus coming in his kingdom. Now. Bringing the kingdom now. Not in its complete fullness, but now. And we get to walk with him in that. The resurrected Jesus Christ has created a church. We get to be a part of that community. He has all authority in heaven and earth. It's been given to him. And we get to have in mind the things of God because we have the Holy Spirit of God that helps us have in mind the things of God. And Jesus says, follow me, go make disciples of all nations. Amen. Amen. May we pray. Jesus, we just trust you that you will build your church. That you love the church, you died for the, you founded the church, you died for the church, you rose for the church, 
and you are active in your church. We thank you for the suffering you endured on our behalf and for the hope of the Holy Spirit and your being with us and the community of faith to help us in any suffering in your name that we endure here. And we thank you that your kingdom has come now on earth and as it is in heaven, it will come in its fullness and we wait for that day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.